0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to a very special episode, our 700th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you To become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is helping people get started with sharing seeds in their community. We're talking with Rebecca Newburn about creating local seed libraries. Rebecca is the co-founder of Richmond Grows Seed Lending Library, a free seed exchange located in the Richmond Public Library in Richmond, California, where she lives. The Create-A-Library template she has designed has helped hundreds of seed libraries launch around the world. She is the webmaster for seedlibraries.net and the editor of Cool Beans, Seed Libraries newsletter, an international publication supporting local seed projects. Welcome to the show today, Rebecca. Are
1: you ready to rock? Absolutely. I'm super excited to be sharing about seeds and a little bit about my journey and just how to get more connected to seeds in your own community and in your own life.
0: Love it. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the paths you took to where you get today?
1: Yeah. So I am, I've been always a gardener, grew up as a gardener. My mom's a major gardener, but wasn't into saving seeds at all. And Mm -hmm. I happened to be sitting in a permaculture class years ago, about 12 years ago, With uh, Christopher Shine, and for those of you that don't know Christopher Shine, he is the author of like vegetable gardening permaculture book, and he's also one of the originators of the first seed library in the modern sense of the the term at the Berkeley Ecology Center called BASIL, which stands for BASIL, what is it? Bay Area Seed Interchange Library. Oh, nice. I'm sitting in this permaculture class, and anybody who's taken a permaculture class gets Wow, there's so many amazing things that people are doing, and be overwhelming, inspiring at the same time. And I just kind of asked, like, what is my piece to do? And I just got like seeds, and I was just like, wow, that was an interesting answer. (laughs) And and where where kind of where it kind of landed was thinking about, you know, it's wonderful if we have you know natural building and all of these, you know, rainwater catchment, but if we don't have access to local adapted seeds. Mm -hmm. you don't have a basis in which to, to create a community. And, you know, being that he was involved with the seed library, I was just like, I want to have a seed library, but I want to create it in a way that it is a replicable model. So any community can just kind of plug and play and create it and adapt it in a way that serves the needs of their community. And so that's kind of where that kind of just started. And I worked with them originally just to get a sense of like, what did you do? And then kind of structured it in a way that would be replicable. To support, you know, any community that wanted to start a seed library. So and you took this done.
0: 2000, awesome. So you took this epic moment in a permaculture course, correct? And heard seeds, which <laughs> are really important piece of the local seed local food economy.
1: Yes.
0: Without local seeds, you can't have local foods. And you started the first seed library, your first seed library.
1: Correct. Yeah. You you kind of modeled it off of. So, yeah, I modeled it off. One of the things that I liked about the Basel model was that it had been going at that point for 15 years. Wow. And yeah, and kind of in and out. I mean, sometimes it was more fallow and sometimes it was vibrant and really active. And thinking about how do I create a model that is sustainable for someone like myself that works full time, that has a very demanding job as a middle school science teacher and created a way that depending regardless of my own life and my own ability to engage with it that it would maintain so it was something beyond what an individual would do is something that was sustainable which is really kind of have to we how we have to design all of our systems is how, how do you do it thank you in in good times and bad you know I think about the resilient gardener with Carol Deppie. it's like how do you create a system for good times and bad times and that the seed library model kind of was based on that for me which is it's self-serve help yourself and, you know, share, share the, the abundance with other people in your community.
0: Nice. Well, and seeds have this amazing way to be exponentially abundant. So how does, how does the seed library work?
1: Well, most of them, and I mean, ours is one of those, most of categories, which is, you know, they're, a lot of them are self-serve and you Go often to a public space. Most of them are public libraries like ours is or in some other public space, such as a church or some type of religious organization or community center or pantry, food pantry. And you take what you, seeds you're planning on growing for this year, plant them, hopefully learn a little bit about seed saving. Some seeds are easier to save than others, such as beans and peas, because they come out like the parent. And right. then hopefully you return some of those, you have some of the seeds for yourself for next year. And then, if you have extra, which usually is the case if you're a seed saver, you share them with your neighbors or you return some to the seed library.
0: Nice, so and of
1: kind of a self, self, you know, self-perpetuating.
0: Yeah. Well, and that that's our dream in permaculture systems is building systems that self-perpetuate past us, right?
1: Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and seeds, are perfect. Yeah, seeds are just just part of part of what they do.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and so if somebody wanted to start their own community seed library, where do we start?
1: Well, I would say that, f- I mean, we have a number of resources available. The first place I would recommend going to is seedlibraries.net. It has a wealth of resources about how to start a seed library, how to maintain a seed library. It can sometimes be a little overwhelming because there's so many different models, everything from someone with a shoebox in a library to someplace like Pima County, you know, where they have, I don't know how many seed libraries, at least eight seed libraries. And it's connected to their, their checkout system. Wow. From, so you can type in just like you could type in the name of your favorite novel. You could also type in peas and you could get them sent to your local branch. So, I mean, that's, that's one, that's one extreme all the way to a shoebox. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot that you can see and find on the seedlibraries.net but the real basic model that kind of kind of started people going is at richmondgrowsseeds.org. So if you go to the richmondgrowsseeds.org, create a library, it's a really the basic template that was easy enough that my sixth graders, I'm a middle school teacher, were trying to do a sustainability project, found the website. I did not tell them that it was my website. And wow. they, walked through, they walked through the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, just let me know if you have any questions. And they figured it out and we're able to install a seed library at our school. So it's, it's vetted by sixth graders. Oh, it's nice. a the sixth grader can follow through and, and do it. So, but if you want, you know, other ideas and, you know, visual stimulation and, you know, a bunch of different ideas about what a membership form might look like, then going to start a seed library web page on seedlibraries.net is a place you definitely would want to explore as you get your feet landed a little bit and get a little bit more context. Yeah.
0: Perfect. And how do sixth graders react when you say we're going to start a seed library?
1: Well, it was their idea. I mean, they knew they knew I had started one, so that seed had already been planted but each group had to do something around how to make our school a more sustainable place. And one group worked on working on getting rainwater tanks installed at our school. And, you know, it was, you know, one group worked on insulation and making sure that the school was better insulated and and worked with the facility staff. And then this other group was like, we want to put in a seed library like you did at your library. And I was like, awesome. Wow. How'd
0: that make you feel?
1: I was super proud of them, you know, and, and to see them, Taking responsibility and ownership of that, mm-hmm. you know. I uh, right now these kids are, are are graduating, or they just graduated this past year, and I s- saw a couple of them recently, and they were just really like, "I remember in sixth grade when we put the seed library together." And so I think it's nice. Seeds it can bring a lot of joy, and I think one of the things that we can realize is how do we involve kids in that joy and that celebration of life.
0: Yeah. Well, and I I've, I've known and seen. For decades that if you get kids growing food, mm-hmm. if they don't like vegetables beforehand, if they grow it, they'll eat yeah. it. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Nothing like any kid that eats spinach because they grow it themselves. Absolutely. Right.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How do you see seed libraries supporting biodiversity in areas?
1: Awesome question. I think, you know, we, as we know, we've, we're in this bottleneck where we've lost a significant amount of biodiversity in the last hundred years. I mean, that's a little understatement, you know, and the, on the commercial standpoint of 90 plus percent of the varieties gone in the last hundred years. And we have no idea how to quantify how many people were saving seeds in their personal gardens that were important to their communities that have been lost. So, I mean, the, the extent is enormous. And I think that, you know, we've been able to just, you know, find a couple of things locally, that we're sharing, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. But we're also looking now at, at, you know, there's the the whole thing of the maintaining the genetic diversity of things, you know, from the past that, you know, the quote unquote heirlooms, things that have a face and a place and a story. And then also how are we going to expand that genetic diversity? So right now in our seed library, we're really looking at some of the land race stuff and how do we, when do we let go of the, oh, this is really important to keep this variety, you know, quote unquote, pure. Mm -hmm. When is it better just to mix stuff up and see what pops out and create, you know, the seeds for the future. And so we're, we're doing a lot more mixing right now. Our, a lot of our runner beans, you know, planning out the 10 varieties that we have. And instead of trying to, you know, one, one variety this year and one variety that next year, because they cross let's just put them all together. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. They're all going to be tasty. And, you know, maybe in this mix we find something that's more resilient to the drought.
0: Yeah. Really important to be doing right now for sure.
1: Yeah. So we're experimenting a lot with that. We're also starting with a number of seeds that, you know, Joseph Lofthouse started as well. So, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. And I love his conversation about Grex's Grex's. uh, I don't know what the acronym stands for, but basically they just take a bunch of seeds of the same variety and mix them together and plant them all.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's exciting work. I mean, and it's important work, and it's not the work that's going to be done by big agriculture. I mean, obviously they provide a service. You know, they're providing a lot of food. However, you know, they're trying to their market in terms of home garden is something that works in, around you know the entire United States or whatever mm-hmm. the region is where people are, and it's not about what's regionally adapted. What's what's the best tasting, what's the most nutritious. And I think that, that work is really going to be done in communities. And so the more people we get inspired to become seed savers and share seeds is where, where it's exciting. Cause it's like, it's much more interesting to eat something that, Oh, I got this from Greg and Oh my gosh, it's so awesome. And, you know, and there's, there's that personal connection as opposed yeah. to, you know, the quote unquote heirloom, you know, like I have the Sheboygan, Wisconsin, Lithuanian, you know, tomato. Awesome. But I'm, I'm not Lithuanian. I don't necessarily have a connection with that particular, you know, quote unquote yes. heirloom. It's more like a vintage, you know, piece of jewelry. Important to say, but not necessarily, you know, the 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 heirloom that we need to be, you know, getting behind. We need to be mixing stuff up and right. seems to go into a wild and unpredictable future. So there's a there's a whole different way. And that's it's really it's a big shift that the seed library community and, and a number of seed savers are looking at is like when do you when do you preserve the genetics as, you know, as it's been handed to you and when, when do you go into a different road and a different pathway and kind of a choose your own adventure with the different, with it, with the plant.
0: Yeah. Well, and part of that, that sounds to me like part of it is a, when do we humans keep control of it? And the other side of the coin is when do we let nature be with it?
1: Yeah. And when do we listen to it? You know, it's just like, what yeah. do you want to plan? And just, you know, supporting, supporting that change versus, you know, that, yeah, rigid control that we've had for you know this idea of purity
0: yeah well i always love what toby used to say and that's that nature always bats last
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know so you know we need to listen to nature more yeah so you use the word
1: land race can you explain to people what that is I am not the best person at explaining but it's from that from that pers- particular place. However, I would strongly recommend reading the book, Joseph Lofthouse book around modern land races. Mm-hmm. So it's really allowing, I mean there's I'm I'm sure there's different ways of looking at it from a a historic perspective land races where you know if you went into a particular area, you know, the parsley for a particular area probably has a lot more genetic expression. It looks mm-hmm. it's not all uniform but it's got a particular feel flavor to it. You know, now they're doing the modern and race stuff, the kind of work that Joseph Lofthouse is pioneering around. How can we take the genetics that we have currently available to us, allowing it to mix up, not being super, what's the word I want to say? Concerned? Controlling, I mean, controlling is part of it, but just letting nature do its selection. It's mm-hmm. a it's a it's an intense drought. It's this. There was a pest pressure. What survived from that? Do that for a few years and then start selecting for the qualities that you're interested in. And from there, you're going to have a much more robust genetic diversity to select from. And then that becomes kind of the container in which it, it's you're you're working within. So nature has done the original selection for you. And then you start to, you know, cultivate and select based on your preferences and your needs and, and things like that. So there's not, you know, when you're looking at something, for example, some of the, the, the squash that I have, you know, mm-hmm. it's you might get a two pounder, you might get a 20 pounder. Most of them are strange, <laughs> but every now and then you find something, that's a little, you know, outside of that, that, you know, kind of deviation piece. And so it's, it's interesting because I'm used to, you know, kind of the more traditional approach of you're planning this and this is what you get. And it's, you know, like how can we be surprised and delighted again? Yeah. I think another way to look at it is just like, wow, look at that. Isn't that cool? I've got a 20 pounder. I'm going to have to invite some friends over for dinner or at least share something. <laughs> you know, so I think that it also right. allows for some more generosity when we
0: get things. like yeah. the garden. Generosity and abundance. Absolutely. What kind of seeds, what kind of kind of out of the ordinary cool seeds have you seen in your library?
1: Well, I mean, I'm a big fan of the great, great Aunt Rosie's time pole bean. So if anyone knows the Richmond grows, so my neighbor three, da- three houses down, it was his wife's great, great aunt, Rosie. Oh, exactly. And she's like this Italian immigrant and she and her two sisters married three brothers. And so it's kind of like a, wow. I know. <laughs> Let's talk about that's the family uh, connection or karma. I don't know where that one goes, yeah. but it's, what's interesting is about it. I mean. I mean, it's got a story and it's locally been, it's grown on my block for 40 some years at this point. So definitely wow. adapted to the climate. However, it's also a great, I mean, it is one of the best tasting beans. Wow. And he loves it as a green bean. I'm like, well, I've never eaten it as a green bean. My mom loves it as a shelling bean and she's in Maryland. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's the most, productive. she goes, all of them got eaten except for one plant. And the one plant that survived, she showed me this, you know, huge bowl. And I was I was like, is that true? She's like, yeah, that's from one plant. And I was like, no way. Wow. So it's super productive. And it's one of my favorite soup beans. So, you know, Mm. great multi purpose bean, delicious. So, I mean, I think things like that are are exciting. And when you share it with someone, you're like, yeah, great, great. Yeah. So you
0: you used a a phrase, face a place in a story. Correct. And I just want to circle back around. You just shared a story Mm -hmm. that has a place in your neighborhood. And a face with, you know, somebody that goes back 50 years.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, those are the heirlooms. I mean, those are, those are when we're talking about seeds that we want to preserve like that. I mean, granted, beans for the most part don't cross pollinate, Mm -hmm. but that would be one where we would probably continue to keep that in that state because it's that connection to our community. And so everyone's going to have to make those decisions in those communities. Communities are going to have to make those decisions for themselves. It's like, what do we what do we keep as is and what do we kind of mix for the purposes of creating the heirlooms of the, you know, the quote unquote, heirlooms of the future or the gifts yes. for the future.
0: Who usually interacts with or seed libraries?
1: You know, we have no idea because they're self-serve, you know, I mean, we, ah. we have a membership form that people are encouraged, supposed to fill in, but you know, it's, it's in a public library. Actually right now it's interesting because we, we really, had to transition our model, which is something we'd been wanting to do for quite some time. But during the pandemic, when our seed collection was locked in the public library and we knew there was going to be a high demand for seeds, we opened up 13 seed libraries in the community. So we were at, on wow. fences. We were, on, we were little cardboard boxes with a glue. It was like a cardboard box with a glue gun is all you need, you know, and we were on fences at churches. We were at fences in You know, parks. We were in a bike shop co-op. We were in a number of local markets. So it was it was really you know in a couple of urban ag places, and I think that was a good push for us Mm -hmm. because we had really wanted to get out in the community. Because you know, I love being in a public library. However, this is not everyone's public library, because we have however many branches. And not only that, but it's just, it was a way for us to kind of connect with a larger community. And we had 60 volunteers at the beginning of the pandemic helping us get seeds out and promote. It's really super, it was a super sweet moment for us to kind of, you know, in that difficult time to be able to kind of connect with more people and be more engaged in the community. And, And now, you know, we've continued to decide to keep some more spaces out in the community and make them more permanent structures. So
0: nice. Well, you know, in talking with Bill McDorman about uh, 15 years ago, I, I said, if there's something that happens in our community, the only place to get seeds pretty much are a, a few local nurseries and big box stores. And what you've done is you've exploded that out to many more places in the community.
1: Yeah, and it's sweet. Another thing that we're doing, and and for people that are doing local seed sharing in their communities, we've also done a number of pop ups. Example, I mean, we'll be at you know different events and all that. That's one thing. But one of the things we've done is on occasions we've we've. Been gifted with some really special seeds. For example, my neighbors are Nepalese, and I, I had been growing a number of Peruvian plants that have also migrated over to Nepal. Mm-hmm. Which they were excited to see all these things. They're like, "Oh my gosh, that's Nepalese!" I'm like, "Well, actually, it's I believe it started in Peru, but glad that it got to your your hometown too." And we we had a couple of seed libraries in a Nepalese restaurant for the last couple of years, as well as a Himalayan grocery store. Wow. Yeah, and so that was really so. It's nice to have that connection with those two places now, and that community, and really trying to get those people where that pepper that we're sharing out, that mustard, and those that cilantro that's from Nepal that's special to them. They're going to be the ones that are really going to be the ones that are more likely to steward it and share it. So mm-hmm. hoping to make more kind of connections that way. And for example, same thing right now. I have this wonderful collard that was found in you know a vacant lot in an alleyway in Berkeley. Super wow. amazing, delicious, you know, massive, massive, massive leaves. And, you know, we're just calling up a bunch of soul food restaurants in the area because this area in Richmond, you know, was one of the places where a number of people from the South moved up to have, you know, access to, a, you know, more opportunities. And so we're just reaching out to them and we're going to put in the collard greens in there as well as this information about the project. And, you know, and so things like that are ways to kind of connect. Yeah, the story. Well, but also get them involved sharing seeds and you know within within you know smaller communities within the larger communities yeah so
0: part of the seed library concept is i check seeds out and
1: then i bring them back it's not a requirement you know it's it's not a requirement mm-hmm. however you know the invitation is there and i mean that's one of the things that i'm really interested in is how do we i mean it just takes a couple seed savers cuz as you know you save one lettuce seed and you know a couple lettuce plants and you're you've got the neighborhood covered, right? However, however, you know, if we're really going to want to save a lot of genetic diversity and then expand that, you know, we're going to need to get more people at the Mm -hmm. table or at least, you know, saving some seeds. And so that's kind of the place where I'm really interested in is how do we create those, those moments for people where they go from someone who's planting a seed to someone who's saving their first seed and then sharing it. And once you start saving your own seeds, you I, what I've noticed, at least with our group, is we have a grow out program where people, we ask people specifically to grow something out to save it for the community. Got it. And, you know, we don't, even in that group, we don't get a huge turnout. But once someone actually commits and does save a seed, you know, they're part of that, they're part of that core group forever. We've, that we've, we've yeah. seen people every year come back and return seeds. And so I, for me right now, one of the things, one of the books I'm super interested in is a book called Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. And it's around how do we do things that are so small that you can't fail to do it. You know, for example, and it's and it's it's really creating a habit that's already connected to a habit you already do. So for example, he says like a lot of people want to don't floss their teeth very very much. And so a natural connection is I already brush my teeth. So there's a recipe which he says, which is like after I do this, I will do this. So after I brush my teeth, something that's so small that you can't fail to do is floss one tooth. After I do brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. Chances are for most people, you know, maybe the first couple of days their teeth, teeth are bleeding, and so they do only floss one or two teeth. But probably for the most part, you after you brush your teeth and you get out the floss, you're probably gonna go a little further than one tooth. Yeah. If you do the one tooth, you've 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 met your goal, you met your thing, and you celebrate. So celebrating and having that emotional connection is part of it. And I'm really looking totally open to suggestions for people from you or others is how do we get people to going from planting a seed. Mm-hmm. saving it like what is that tiny habit that helps them go over that that threshold and yeah so it's it's kind of where my my little zone of curiosity lies right now
0: yeah that's a good thing to to ponder because I'm always looking for how do we get people to make the next step yeah in choosing a different you know something different
1: yeah. And it just, cool. I mean, it has to be just something small.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then just that acknowledgement of like, wow, I made a difference. You know, I, I took that step. And then it becomes a habit. Because when I promise you, once you start saving that first seed, it definitely
0: becomes Oh, l- let me tell you. <laughs> we we recently moved from Phoenix, uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. And as I was packing up my different seed collections from different drawers. Basically, I probably had fifty or seventy-five Ziploc bags mm-hmm. with writing on the bag. Oh, this came from Terry Davidson, mm-hmm. his garden. It's a bean, and some of my date, some of my don't. But yeah, once you start doing it, yeah, it kind of sucks you in. <laughs> so you've been doing this a long time. Do you have any epic moment out there where you shared it with somebody and something happened? something magic happened that you can share?
1: Well, I think for me, I was, I mean, I started with a very clear intention of wanting this to be an international movement.
0: Mm. Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. I mean, I started with is like, I want to create a seed library in my library with the intention of any community, anywhere who wants to do this can easily do it. Cause it was a lot of brain work Mm -hmm. and wondering about how do you create a system so, like in the drawers, it's organized by families, so that it's like, oh, if you get something from this family, it's got fairly similar seed saving. So there's a lot of education embedded in the system. So there was a lot of like deep thinking in the process. And one of the practices I do is a thing called laughter yoga. Oh yes, I've done that before. We did, but the but the way that I the way that I my friend Suzanne Burzbach, who sadly is no longer with us, or at least not in the physical form we would do it with intentions and we would laugh that there were like seed libraries in every town and we would just laugh the joy of what that <laughs> oh. was and that thing i mean it got it spread like wildflowers i mean you just like planted the one seed library and within a within the first year there were 12 seed libraries and by the next year there were 100 seed libraries and by the third year there were like 250 seed libraries it was amazing wow yeah and i mean we have a list of people that have we have a on the seedlibraries.net website. You can fill in a little form just saying you're interested or you've opened. So we that's how we track where people are in the process. They're very self. Some have gone and come and gone, and you know it's very hard to kind of follow through with all that when we're all volunteers. But there's you know three thousand communities that have said that they're interested, you know at least eight hundred and some that have actually opened at some point, whether they're still wow. open, not hard to say, but just super inspiring to see how many people have felt that similar call to save and share seats. So that's mm-hmm. been really for me just a wonderful. and just to meet those people and just to you know kind of kindred spirits on the journey and hear their story and what kind of awoke in them or was always awake but needed, you know wanted a different expression has been really lovely to kind of connect with those people over the last, you know,
0: a couple of years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, at this point since 2010. Yeah. 2010. Wow.
0: And so if somebody wanted to start a seed library, what, what advice would you give them?
1: I would say that it doesn't all need to happen at one time. I mean, not that I, not that I take my own advice,
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. truth, be
1: told, truth be told, however, however, not everyone needs to do that. And what I would say is, you know, for, well, actually, you know, what I really did was the first year was about, let's get the word out. What is a seed library? So I was, I said, my first year was like, let's get people to know that they can come and borrow seeds for free from the public library. And we're going to offer one educational class. So I would say that type of thing is, you know, first is, I mean, now I think there's enough awareness in many communities about what a seed library is. Mm -hmm. That part has kind of been taken care of, but it might be just like, we're going to get established this first year and tell, you know, tell the people that if it's a public library about being self-sustaining, that it takes some time. It takes some time to build that community around saving and returning seeds. And so it doesn't need to all happen and be self-sustaining the first year. Great if it does. But, you know, and then start to be like, okay, we're going to start including some educational classes. We're going to start to kind of build upon those successes. Oh, we're going to do a tomato tasting, you know, and so those little add ons. And we have on the seedlibraries.net, we have a bunch of special projects paid. So, kind of one of the drop down menus, you can see what other people have done. And so, like, oh, we're going to add in a drawer about California natives or, you know, finding people in your community that have a particular interest in having them take over that can be like an add-on later on. Yeah. So if someone really loves medicinal herbs, you know, is there, is there some organization that's close by you or a person that really has that as their, their love that would want to steward that. So, but for now, you know, just, you know, just start, it can be, and it doesn't. And also I think just what I like about some of the resources we have is it, it can be as small as a shoebox. You know a seed library mm-hmm. doesn't need to. the form doesn't need to be massive. yeah, I think that's how people get overwhelmed by that, like, oh my gosh, where do we start. It's like start small. it's all good. you know And how do people start getting seeds? It's highly variable. I mean, when we started, we started with donations. So we, but that was a long time ago. So we mm-hmm. start with donations, and I think within you know two to three years we were one hundred percent. Local, So we were 100% local seed up until the pandemic, and then we got locked out.
0: So if someone's interested in finding a seed library,
1: how do they find one? Well, we actually have a list, which is all self-reported, so it's not necessarily 100% up to date, but it's if you go to seedlibraries.net, there is a page, I think it's under the start of library, where you can find Sister Libraries. We have a document called Sister Libraries, and it's organized by country and then by state. And then you can look for your particular location. And it'll either say open or it'll say mulling. So if it says mulling, it could be open. It could have just been a great inspir- moment of inspiration that someone never picked up. But there is at least a resource to help people guide them. But you know, if you don't have one, you know, go to seedlibraries.net. And maybe connect with some other people and hit the start a seed library and it it's vetted by sixth graders. You can do it. Just need to shoot go. And a couple seeds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. And you guys have something really exciting coming up in February. Tell us we about do. that.
1: We do. So in February eleventh, twenty twenty three, we're going to have the eleventh annual missing one year in there eleventh annual seed library summit. It's going to be virtual. So this will be our second virtual conference. And people can sign up at seedlibraries.net. And also we have all of our recordings from our previous summit online as well. So you can just go to seedlibraries.net and seedlibraries.net and also see any of the past talks as well. Excellent. And I'm going to shift on you now. And
0: I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from
1: it. Ooh, failure. I'm not really a person that really kind of believes in failure. I mean, I'm a scientist. I mean, that's my background. I'm a person of perpetual, you know, reiteration. It's like, oh, that didn't work, just tweak it, move it over. So I think that I can't really think of anything in specific, you know, in terms of like a you know, what I would call a failure, but I mean everything's just a learning opportunity. So it's like that didn't work, shift it a little this way, do something a little bit different, try something different. And so I think that's more of kind of a more helpful mindset.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in that our failures is where we learn. So the more failures that we have, the more we're going to learn.
1: Yeah, I mean the failure is if you don't learn. That would that's what the
0: Oh, ones. there you go. That's the
1: failure. <laughs> failure is like you did something you didn't learn from it, that's a failure. Yeah. This opportunity.
0: Oh, perfectly put. And what do you consider your biggest success?
1: I would have to say well, I'm really I'm super excited just about the fact that there are so many seed libraries and it just continues to grow and mm-hmm. I think it would even be more successful if there were more people just taking it. And I mean, people are doing it in their own community, but I'd love to see some more organic organization on a, a higher structure level. So that would be yeah. one, super successful. Nice. And
0: what drives you?
1: What drives me? Hmm. Well, I have to say, I have to say when I met Bill Dorman, I mean, I definitely have always had a something, something, some wind behind my back pushing me. However, I have to say that when I heard Bill McDorman say, what are you doing now that that has any relevance to a thousand years from now? Yep, that just hit like every cell in my body and was just like, yeah, yep. live by that. And I mean, I live by that daily. People wonder, you know, do I have twins that are <laughs> doing the work for me? And I was just like, no, I'm just, I'm super dedicated, focused, and inspired by the work that needs to be done. And I just, I spend my time wisely based on my values.
0: Yeah. And the kind of an impact that we can make in 50 or a hundred or a thousand years. Yeah. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier, I got the two books, so I'll squeeze them in the Joseph Lofthouse book mm-hmm. on modern land races. Super interesting in terms of where we might want to go as seed savers. I love one of his pieces that he talks about. I don't know if it's in the book per se, but just, you know, he said it, which is in his opinion, An heirloom is something that's been inbred for at least 50 years. Oh, right. Oh, that's a different perspective. Exactly. Uh, Okay. So that's that's one book. And I like I said, I'm super enamored and interested with Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg, in terms of how do we shift our lives and our community in profound ways by doing small actions to make things joyful in a positive, joyful way like for oh. the positive joyful in my life lately <laughs>
0: always the positive joyful way for sure yeah. and what one final piece of advice do you have for our
1: listeners final advice i would say listen to what you are called to do mm. and you know because a lot of times there's so many things drawing our attention especially now with all of the news and with the technology and just really get a sense of like I said, for me, it's like, what's mine to do? I asked what's mine to do. And I just got seeds and I was like, just follow that trail where it took me. And I think if people listen to what is their deepest value and live according to it, like if everybody did that, Oh my gosh. Right. It would be amazing. 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 Even if 3% of the people did that, that would be amazing. So you could be one of those people too, you know, listening.
0: So, well, and that's the thing what you just said, you can be one of those people too. Yeah. You know, Larry Santoyo, one of my permaculture teachers always used to say, go out in the world and do epic sh- <laughs> Stop." Yeah. And, you know, I taken he told me that, oh my gosh, probably 25 years ago. And that's how I, that's how I like to live my life. It's like, and my Epic is different than your Epic.
1: Yeah. And you and get to so define much. that. Yeah, thankfully. I mean, it's like that we all have our own gifts to bring to the world and to yeah. each other and, you know, find what they are and share them and celebrate them and, you know, invite other people to do the same.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Rebecca. My
1: pleasure. My pleasure.
0: How can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: Well, all of our resources are very self serve. So the places where you would get more information would just go to seedlibraries.net or to Richmond Grows seeds.org to kind of find more resources about seed libraries or the upcoming summit in February 11th, 2023. So check that out, share it with people that you think might be interested in partnering with you and plant some seeds and save them and share them.
0: Yeah, there you go. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash seed libraries.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast.